Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Okay, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. This is Yona. Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm in the studio with Sophia, Devon, and Corey overseeing everything. Tonight we're talking about resilience. Yeah, what does that mean? How do you get back from uh, things that hold you down, right? How do you get on the other side of stuff that makes it difficult for you to get through the day? This is what this is all about, and we're here to help each other. And the way you do that, you can reach out to me at 416-870-6400 by phone or text anytime, 647-488-0086. Again, you're listening to Yonabud on... 640 Toronto. So we're talking about how do you get on the other side of stuff? And before we get started, I want to shout out to my two little friends, Joey and James, who are way past their bedtime, but I know that they're listening and their parents uh, probably don't know about it. So make sure you don't get caught because then I'm going to get into trouble. But uh, hey to you both and uh, we love you. So, you know, it, it really it's about falling down and picking yourself up, right? Like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you fall down and pick yourself up? Well, the falling down part's easy. We do it all the time, right? We make mistakes. We fall off. We try to get back on and so on. For many people, that's a very, very difficult process, right? Depending on how terrible the setback is, how, how grueling, how devastating it may be. You know, I got a text message from someone this week, um, Sarah actually from Scarborough. And she said, I lost my job and my mom got COVID. My husband has a heart condition. And how do I overcome all this at once? And, you know, it's it's those kinds of questions that people are asking, especially during this difficult time that we're coming out of and how we've managed over the last 18 or 19 months. How do you actually get on the other side of this kind of stuff? Someone else texted me and said, my husband was diagnosed with breast, uh, prostate cancer. I'm a mess. I uh, can't seem to get uh, my kids to, uh, my teenage kids to understand, you know, how do you work this stuff through and continue life like normal? That's kind of what tonight's about. We're going to talk to uh, to a very special guest and uh, understand how he gets on the other side of his um, difficult challenge. You know, wake up one day and your doctor says something to you, and the next thing you know, your life's changed. You know, I, I lived through that with my wife, with Pumpkin, which really isn't her name. You know that. So Pumpkin uh, diagnosed with can- uh, breast cancer. She's been diagnosed twice with uh, skin cancer. So, you know, we've worked hard together as a team, and her in particular, to work hard to come out the other side of this difficult news and and how do you do that you know what what how do, what makes that work if you've got a special way that it worked for you if you've ever fallen down and had to get back up the question is it's really not how you fall down right it's how you get back up so it's an open board for a little bit here have you ever had to overcome a major setback and if so how did you do it and, and by the way uh, i know it's tough to call that's why you can text 647-488-0086 and and i i know it's difficult you don't like to hear your voice maybe but the call you make is not about hearing yourself on the radio or, or making me happy. It's about the information that we're able to share with others. And by sharing with others, we're able to help. And when we help, it just feels really good. And I have a funny feeling that that's one of the ways you come out the other side. And as far as my two text texters go, I hope they're listening tonight and get some advice on how to come out the other side of this kind of stuff. How do you develop resilience? How, you know, how do you make that work for you, right? So famous guy. American inventor Thomas Edison once said, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. Edison made thousands of prototypes of in his incandescent light bulb before he finally got it right. So it's easy to imagine him failing on a daily basis in his lab in, Manello, in, in Menlo um, Park where he was working. So in spite of struggling with failure through his entire working life, Edison never let it get the best of him. 
His resilience came, gave the world some of the most amazing inventions of the early 20th century, such as the phonograph, the telegraph, the motion picture. It's hard to imagine what our world would be like if Edison had given up. What if he said, ah, I'm not doing this. Too much work. I'm going to do something else instead. His inspiring story forces all of us to look at our lives. We have to have the resilience. We need to overcome our challenges. We have to let our failures not, we can't let our failures derail our dreams. What can we accomplish if we have this, if we, what could we accomplish if we had the strength to not give up? And resilience is our ability to adapt and bounce back when things just don't go as planned. Something just, you know, things just don't work out. Wake up one day, the next thing you know, we're in a pandemic. Wake up one day, next thing you know, you're diagnosed with something. And I've got issues. I got back issues. I got stomach issues. Had to adjust my life. I don't like it. Makes it difficult to sometimes cope. But I got what I got, and I'm going to have to do what I got to do. People sometimes come to me. You know, I, I've had people call me and come into treatment, both residential or outpatient, come into treatment, and they say, listen, you know, I had a horrible heart attack because of my drinking. I, I'm kind of paralyzed on one side. I have to use a cane. Um, it's just hard for me to get my, my, my head around all this. And my answer is, you know, if you do good work and you do good therapy, you can be the guest, best guy or the best gal on the planet with a cane. It doesn't restrict you. It just changes how you approach certain things. So number one, you got to look at the challenge. There's a leading psychologist. Her name is, uh, what's her name? Susan Cabasa. Cabasa, great, great and last name, right? She must have had a lot of fun made of her. But listen, the challenge is resilient people view a difficulty as a challenge, not as a paralyzing event. That's what she says. They look at their failures and mistakes as lessons to be learned from and opportunities for growth. I, I like that. Don't view them as negative reflections, but their abilities of, uh, to work on their self-worth right? Commitment. The second thing you need to be resilient is to have commitment. Resilient people are committed to their lives and their goals. They have a compelling reason to get out of bed in the morning. You know, you know, those people that jump out of bed because they really like their life. Sometimes it makes you sick because <laughs> you want to be that person. That's where we want to go. We want to bounce out of bed. Listen, I've been doing this work for a long, long time. My wife won't let me say how long, but for decades and decades and decades, I still bounce out of bed in the morning to try to save a life because I love it. It drives me. It motivates me. I love the feeling of satisfying, that satisfying feeling when you're able to help somebody, hold their hands and listen. You have to have, be committed to your relationships, your friendships, you got to, things you care about, and you have to have some personal control. People with resiliency have control because they work on it. They think about the things they do before they do them. You know, people that, uh, you know, are, are trying to be optimistic, people that are trying to find that positive image of the future, people that are trying to be empathetic and compassionate, to achieve their goals. They won't let it hold them down. I know so many of my friends that are in their late 80s and, and early 90s that I, I, I just learn from every day. And with all of their ailments and issues and diseases and fights over cancer and all that kind of stuff, somehow every day they just put for, push forward. And that's the kind of stuff that this show is about. It's about how to push through and come out the other side. Because really, if you don't have a choice, you can either lie down and just wait for your life to be over, or you can pick your socks up, pick yourself up, get up and do what you need to do to come out the other side and be maybe even stronger, better, happier, more fulfilled, more in touch with yourself than you ever were before. Maybe it's the thing that rocks you that makes you the best you. When we come back from break, I have a very special guest. His name is Larry Gifford. He's my boss's boss, so be nice if you do call in and text. But we're going to talk about how he came through the other side of really, a really devastating, uh, life-changing event. So when we come back from break, we're going to talk to Larry. We're going to find out how he does it. And we want to hear from you and figure out how you do it. 416-870-6400 or text me at 647 488 
Yonabad, 640, Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yonabad, only on 640 Toronto. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Okay, welcome back. Let's get ready to rumble. Good, A good sign of the ready for a fight. It's all about fighting back. It's all about getting up when you fall down and what it need, what you need to help you come out the other side. Larry Gifford is my guest. He's the national director of talk radio for chorus entertainment. Yeah. That makes him my boss's boss. Yeah. I, I get it. I could be like, this could be my last show. Who knows? Anyway, just kidding. He hosts the podcast. When life gets you, gives you Parkinson's and he serves on the Michael J. Fox foundation patient council and uh, is a president and board chair of a non-for-profit. We're going to hear some more about called PD adventures, PD. P, like in Bob, uh, Paul David Avengers. He's building a global alliance of individuals and organizations to add urgency to the cause of ending Parkinson's disease. You can join PD Avengers. Uh, I'm a PD Avenger. It's very cool. I'm waiting for my, uh, for my cape and my hat, by the way. But anyway, in one year, they've signed up 3,600 plus individuals over 70 countries and more than 50 Parkinson's organizations the worldwide, uh, around the world and diagnosed with onset, uh, young onset Parkinson's disease four years ago, uh, this month, actually, in August of 2017. Uh, Larry's life changed, um, I guess in some ways for the worst, but in a lot of ways, maybe for the better. Larry, thank you uh, for joining us tonight. And uh, how you doing, brother? Great, man. You know, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much. Listen, um, you know, I want to talk to you tonight. I want to talk to you about the P- being the PD Avenger. We're not going to get into, you know, show stuff and so much about your work and, and, and the other side of your life. I really want to focus on, on, on what you do and how you cope and, and, and this organization, which is really quite amazing. Uh, so I want everybody to listen and talk about it. So we're talking about resilience and, um, you know, I guess uh, if people don't understand, when I was sort of in between jobs, when I was uh, with the with another network and then uh, no longer with the other network, I was let go along with 127 other people and uh, looking for opportunities. Opportunities came my way, and one of those opportunities was going to was was joining Chorus. And frankly, Larry, one of the reasons I joined Chorus was our interview together, uh, hearing oh. about you and what you do and PD Adventures and your life. And of course, uh, Jeff uh, Story, who's my direct boss, also very committed to wellness and helping people come out the other side. So I really feel like I've joined a family and I uh, just want to thank you guys for that. Uh, but the first question I have for you, my friend, is when you first were diagnosed, I mean, we all have heard that this is kind of the anniversary of your, this month is the anniversary of your four-year-ago diagnosis, um, obviously diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, must have felt like a gut punch, right? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, I was 45 years old. Uh, and the only people that I really had known that had Parkinson's disease was Muhammad Ali and Michael J. Fox. Um, and, uh, but I didn't know anything about it. And you, you just think of the tremor, but like, you know, you, you go to, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, start going online and start asking Dr. Google. And I went to the Mayo Clinic and they have like 41 different ways that Parkinson's can impact a person. And it's like, and, and tremor, you know, can be your major one. Some people with Parkinson's have no tremor. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't know if it was going to kill me or what. What it was going to do? Like, was, would I be worthless at work? Would I be like, would they not want me anymore? Um, and so, so like, there was a, you know, it was an avalanche of uh, panic and anxiety and depression and apathy and <laughs> the, the the full stew that I'm sure you went through as well. 
So how long did you sit in that actually? How, how long, you know, I mean, you're, you're a tough guy. You're clearly a fighter. You're, you're seriously good at what you do, um, in every walk of life, frankly. So, um, how long did it actually take you to kind of figure it out? Okay. This is what I got. It's a really crummy situation. It sucks big time, but okay. I, I got to have to fight. I got to have to do something here. How, how long did you kind of sit in it? Was it weeks, days, months? Months. It was probably eight months. Okay. Um, which, um, you know, it, with a lot of self-loathing and uh, yep. feeling bad for myself and, you know, little pity parties for Larry and yep. lots of alcohol and um, <laughs> trying okay. to drink it away. That didn't work. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd, you'd wake up one day and go, no, nah, I think they got it wrong. I don't have it. And then yeah. you realize you, you skipped your medicine one day and, uh, and that, that it, Parkinson's rears its ugly head again. So when you, when you first kind of woke up and realized, okay, after the eight months, I'm sure you kind of had an awakening of some sort where you decided, okay, I'm not going to, not going to, you know, kind of sit in this anymore. I'm going to do something about it. Was it, was it hard for you to get help from loved ones? Like, I mean, you know, you're a father, you're a husband, you're an executive in a big company. Is is it hard? Was it hard for you to sort of say, okay, I'm a little broken right now. And uh, maybe I need some help from others. Um, was it hard for you to let your ego get out of the way to do that? Uh, for sure, yeah. I mean, because uh, you, you never want to, you know, vulnerability is not something that we grew up at knowing as a strength. Right. But, and uh, uh, you know, in the last four years, I've, I've learned that vulnerability is probably the, the biggest strength I have. Uh, it, it, it makes me you know, approachable and relatable and, and people are willing to listen to what I have to say. You know, uh, the, the trigger for me of coming out of my funk was I was listening to a podcast uh, for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, and there was a doctor on there, Dr. Ray Dorsey. And he said, uh, you know, if people with Parkinson's don't start sharing their stories, there will never be enough attention on this disease to raise enough money to do enough research to cure it. And I thought, well, I'm a storyteller, and I have been all my life. And I, I'm not telling anybody about what I'm doing. And I've got TV stations and radio stations and a big website that I could be sharing my story with, and I'm not. And if I'm not doing it, how can I expect anybody else to do it? And so that was really the pivotal point for me. And so I actually, my colleagues, most of them found out on live TV. Wow. Did you did you find that um, you kind of, I mean, did you feel guilty about it in some way or feel less than something in some way that, you know, you have this diagnosis and how could that possibly happen? And coming out of your loathing, was it, I mean, the reason that you weren't so open in the beginning and willing to share in the beginning, I mean, were you embarrassed by this in some way or like what kind of kept you from saying, Hey, this is what I got. I need help with it, folks. Yeah, I, I think it was uh embarrassment. It was, um, not know, you know, the, the, the thing about Parkinson's is everybody's Parkinson's is different. So you have no real answers to give anybody. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know how, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, a, a degenerative brain disease. Right. So, you know, who wants uh, to hire a degenerative brain disease person? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who wants to retain, who wants them in charge of their talk radio? Uh, yeah, and how exactly. fast are you going to deteriorate? You know, you don't know. You, you feel like it, you have limited time. I, well, you know, I'm four years and I'm doing good. I know people 20 years in, I know people 40 years in, right. um, you know, but everybody's different. So it's, it's that not knowing what's next. Like when you wake up in the morning and you have a new pain, is that a today pain or a forever pain? 
you don't know. You know, but I guess that's sim- that's. I'm sorry, carry on, please. No, no. So, so I was just going to say. So I think that it was embarrassment, but it was, it was also, um, I, I, it was it was that not wanting to be um, not strong enough to take care of it on my own. So, like, I don't want to be a burden. Yeah, I don't want to burden my my wife and my kid and my family yeah. and like yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll try to handle this on my own. Well, listen. When 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 there's a diagnosis of Parkinson's, it hits the whole family, um, right. and it hits it hard. So you're a big guy. I, um, I, I don't. People haven't seen you. I haven't actually seen you in person, but you appear to be a, a big man. Um, and, and you know, people expect you know big guys to handle their stuff, right? Like, right. did you did you feel that when um, when you were diagnosed? It's kind of like you know, like why me and why should this happen to me and look at, look who I am. And, you know, I do all the, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do all the right things in my life and I'm a pretty decent guy. Uh, did you go through that kind of, what was me, why me thing? And, and, and if so, how do you come out the other side of that? How, how do you stop second guessing, um, you know, the, the process, how do you sort of accept what you got for what you got and, and, and move on? It took you eight months, but there must've been an aha moment. Yeah. There, well, I mean, for sure. Like when I started thinking about, well, what, why would anybody want to hear my story? Well, you right. know, young onset Parkinson's is, is sort of a, a new, uh, fairly new for most people. They don't realize people that it's not just an old, old man's disease. It, it affects, you know, it, it's, it affects men, women, uh, you know, people as, as young as, you know, six years old to, you know, a hundred every every ethnicity every religion every every country in the world it's it, it actually was a pandemic before covid-19 came along we the number of people that have parkinson's has doubled in the last 25 years and it's going to double in the next 25 years um it, it's it's out of control um and so for me to to i i really had to dig deep to go okay so it went from why me to why me and i sort of had to do some meditation on that. And I had to really clear my, you know, I, 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 my wife and I both meditate. And so that was already a practice of mine. And so I, I went away from that for a while, but once I was able to get back to it and clear my head and space and we really go, well, why, why me? There must be a reason. Well, I've got a big microphone, right? Yeah. There so, you go. Uh, and I'm a storyteller. And so <laughs> I go. can probably help raise awareness and build some urgency around this disease that other people uh, don't have the opportunity to do. Talking to Larry Gifford, we're talking about uh, coming out the outside, other side of being diagnosed at a young age with Parkinson's disease. Uh, Larry, you can hang out to the next segment, I hope. We're going to go to break here, but when we come back, we're going to keep talking to Larry. We're going to ask him some questions about how, you know, how do you find hope when it doesn't, you know, things seem kind of hopeless. Um, I, I do have to say that Larry uh, is on the show with me here tonight because he is, uh, represents one of the most resilient uh, people I've met uh, amidst, uh, you know, amidst some horrible uh, choices and changes in life. Um, and uh, not because he's my boss, uh, because he really is uh, doing remarkable things to help others uh, in spite of uh, trying to help himself at the same time. Go get a drink. Go use the bathroom. Do what you got to do. We'll be right back uh, and talk to Larry some more about how do you become resilient? How do you come out the other side of life-threatening, life-changing stuff? Yonabud, 640, Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yonabud, only on 640 Toronto. 
Welcome back. This is Yona Bud. Thank you for joining me tonight. I'm here with Larry Gifford, the National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus. He's also the person who put together, is in charge of, and driving force behind PD Adventures, people trying to help other people with Parkinson's disease. Is this a current kind of thing? Are people finding ways of, of getting some, uh, some relief from the disease or the dysfunction of, you know, or, or the relief from the ability, uh, to, or the dysfunctional abilities that they're looking for that they can now find maybe, uh, some way of getting around like playing guitar and doing other things yeah so exercise is the most important thing that anybody with parkinson's can do and any kind of whatever exercise you're willing to do is the exercise for you um because the more you move uh the the the, you you can you you can actually prevent the the uh you know the symptoms from progressing uh, or, or or keep them from progressing as fast as they would uh, so, like, when I, if I don't take a walk or exercise in a given day, uh, I'll, I'll feel it because the rigidity sinks in, and um, you know, you, you're not absorbing the um, the medicine as quickly as you should into your brain. Because this is this is a brain disease, and basically, we have brain cells that produce um, uh, dopamine. You've heard of right. dopamine. It's yes, absolutely. Uh, do- dopamine is one of the chemicals in your brain that you release anytime that you want to do any action. Um, right. So, uh, if you want to play the guitar, you need dopamine to move your fingers and to strum the guitar, um, right. and so it, you you lose that functionality. So, by the time I got diagnosed, I could barely use my right hand for anything. I couldn't type with it. I couldn't write with it. Uh, you know, small handprint is a sign of Parkinson's. One of the signs of Parkinson's. Um, you know, it, it, it it's really it's. But then, if you do big movements like ping, ping pong or boxing or you know there's there's a lot of different uh, big big movement uh, things that are underway that are helping people regain some of the functionality that they've lost so you mentioned something about your job earlier on i mean you've got you've got a big job uh, and lots of responsibilities i mean you're responsible for huge staff and national coverage for uh, you know an excellent media corporation you know, I know myself, you know, doing just doing therapy, uh, not just doing therapy, but doing therapy and dealing with my own anxiety, OCD and ADD. There are just days that are just a little harder to work than others. Right. How do you seem sure. to man? How do you manage that? And how do you I mean, I certainly let every I let everybody in my life know what's going on. So they're not surprised. Uh, I, I guess you do similar things. But um you know, you do such an amazing job at what you do. One would not think that you're uh, held back by anything. Well, chorus has been really great to me um, from the beginning, uh, and it helps to adapt my job to the things that I'm capable of doing on a regular basis. Uh, and you know, they allow me to do the work within. You know, as long as the work gets done, it's not like it's it's not as much of a nine to five job as it's more of a twenty four seven job. So if I right. if I get tired if I get tired at two in the afternoon, I go take a nap. You know, right? Uh, right. It's even even if I'm in the office, I've got a little napping chair. Um, <laughs> and everybody knows, it, you know, so we just don't schedule meetings at that time. Uh, cause that's usually when I hit the wall. Uh, and I just need like 20 minutes to just rejuvenate. Um, but you, you know, you, you, you make accommodations you know, some days I wake up and my balance and my gait is off. So then I use walking poles and then some days I don't need them. Um, it's just, and that's, that's, that's Parkinson's it's day to day. It's hour to hour. You may see somebody, they looks great and you can see them in the afternoon and they look like they, they're, you know, Warmed over, and it's it's because Parkinson's is is situational. It's it gets worse with anxiety. It gets worse under pressure and stress and big crowds. 
um, I get extremely nervous around big crowds because of the Parkinson's. Because you don't know when it's going to flare up. Right. You know, and I, I, I can, you know, it's hard to concentrate on more than one thing at a time. Right. How do you, how did you gain? I mean, we're trying to help others. Obviously, it's the nature of the show, right? So we're yeah. talking about, uh, we're talking to Larry Gifford, by the way, if you're just listening in, we're talking about resiliency. Uh, it's a road to recovery on, uh, here on 640, trying to help people get to the other side. How do you find hope? How do you gain hope? Um, in what appears to be for a lot of people, you know, hopeless situations. I mean, we don't, we know that there's not a, a, a cure, uh, anytime soon for Parkinson's and, you know, it's, ma- it's, it's, it's healthy management at best. Um, and we see people like Michael J. Fox and, and other folks that are, are plagued with the disease and seem to still do well and, and make a, make their presence known both uh, in, in terms of helping others with Parkinson's and just entertaining us in, in every way. How, but how does, how do people, how do you, give me some idea of what we can tell people. How do you find hope uh, when you think, you know, it's kind of hopeless, you know, like there's, there's just no point. Yeah. You, well, you know, you surround yourself with positive people, uh, people with Parkinson's, like you, re, you know, avoiding the Parkinson's support groups or avoiding the Parkinson's organizations or avoiding surrounding yourself with people that are even farther along the journey than you uh, is, was, was my first instinct was just, uh, no, I'm not going to admit that I have it. But once I open myself up to I have it, owning the right. disease, they put me in charge. The, right. the more I ignored it, the, the stronger it beat me. And so uh, as soon as I said, no, I do have Parkinson's. Yep, it's part of who I am now. And it's it's going to be my companion for life. Like, there's no getting rid of this thing. So I, I either I either drag it along with me, or 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 I embrace it as part of who I am, and right. and, and figure out the way forward together. It's uh, kind of like so, it's kind of like the bully in the park, right? You want to avoid yeah. the bully until you realize, you know what? I'm just going to punch it in the face, and everything will be okay. Yeah, well, and, and and you know we we have our arguments still day to day, but uh, I, <laughs> I, I find that as soon as I was able to do that, then. I was able to, to see uh, the community of people with Parkinson's, which is amazing and it's global. Uh, I went to the World Parkinson Congress in, um, uh, in Japan uh, two, three years ago, and uh, I, I met you know, a couple thousand people with Parkinson's. Like wow. you're, it's, like, it's unbelievable. And then you, you know, I'm in a room with like 100 people that are my age with Parkinson's. I'm like, oh, we, we've, we've, we, we have something here. Like we can we can move mountains. And so that was the first inkling that we should organize. Uh, and then this book ending Parkinson's disease came out last, uh, last year. And, uh, we read it and we had like a book club of like 12 people and six weeks in, we started to interview the authors. They're like, Hey, this is a recipe for, for action, a prescription yeah. for action. And you guys are just talking about it. We need you to act. And that's how the PD Avengers came to be. That's a great segue. That was my next question. We've got a, you know, about two or three minutes left here, so let's try to get through some stuff. Um, kind of in a minute or so, <laughs> just I hate to put a, 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 a bumpers on it for you, but how did you start PD Avengers? Like, I, I know why you started it, but, um, I mean, did you just figure out you were the guy to lead this and kind of just took it upon yourself? Yeah, I invited, uh, I was actually um, called upon by a friend of mine who runs an organization in, in, in the U.K., she was just wondering how people with Parkinson's were accepting the book, ending Parkinson's disease. And I said, well, let's invite them to a, to a, a zoom call. And, but we didn't, we made it blind. So no one knew who was going to be there. And yeah. so we invited 12 people. They showed up. We had a great time. Uh, people met new people. And, you know, eight weeks later, we were the PD Avengers and uh, we started reaching out to organizations and 
everybody thinks it's a great idea. We're now collaborating with people. We're unifying our message, and uh, we're a registered nonprofit, and it's really it's exciting. It's, you know, it's time for change, and we're adding urgency to that. If anybody wants to see what's going on in the world of Parkinson's or be a part of this, you, you really need to become a PD Avenger. And, and uh, Larry has promised that at some point we will all get capes and, and hats of some sort. I, I joined actually because I thought I was getting the uniform. Uh, but, you know, Larry, on a, on a, yeah, there, thank you. Um, listen, has PD made you a better person, do you think? Oh, yeah. You know, I thought all my life my, 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 my uh, reason for being was to, to – to talk to people on the radio or to send some positivity through the radio. But uh, now I realize my, my purpose for being is to make people aware of Parkinson's. Parkinson's is my reason for getting up in the morning. Um, it's, uh, you know, the gold standard treatment for this disease is over 50 years old. And yeah. It's not available to 33% of the world. Right. Um, you, you know, it's, it was it was it was uh, it was discovered 200 years ago. When we put man on the moon. We eradicated polio. We changed HIV from the death sentence. We've mapped the human genome. We've discovered thousands of galaxies. Yeah. You know, yeah. sending people into space for travel, and, and and we're still stuck with this 50 year old drug for Parkinson's. It's, no, it's time to to change that. Uh, got a, like a minute left here. What advice do you give to others? And by the way, I hope you'll come back and just let us know how you're making out and give us updates on PD Avengers and so on. Sure. Uh, but but what advice do you give others quickly here? Uh, trying to make the best of, of what they got, you know, whether it's, you know, you just lost your job or you're just diagnosed with something, God forbid, or, you know, you realize something's wrong with one of your kids or something. How, what do you tell people? What's Help them get past that eight-month wait and maybe speed it up for them. Maybe some real quick advice on uh, how you pick yourself up when you get a gut punch like that. Yeah, well, I think exercise helps everything because it, you know, it triggers your endorphins and whatnot. And you know, you need to be well if you're going to take care of somebody else. And you need to be well if you're going to try to heal yourself. Um, and then the the other thing I would say is, don't be embarrassed to ask for help. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is uh, is the key to um, really finding your way out of trouble. Uh, when you when you open yourself up to the people you love and trust. Um, they will come back at you tenfold. It, the, the, the reaction is remarkable. Uh, and the, the relationships that I've developed in the four years I've had Parkinson's are the strongest relationships I have in my life other than my wife and my son. Larry Gifford, he's uh, just quite a guy. He's the guy to put together PD Avengers. He's now my new friend. He's also my boss's boss. I mentioned that. Larry, we're going to have you back again. Um, I can only tell you, brother, that you're an inspiration, certainly to me, and hopefully to the thousands that are listening. Uh, and, um, yeah, just uh, power to you, brother. Just uh, anything we can do, we, we, we want to do to support you and help you. But it uh, sounds like you're well on your way. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about kids and the mistakes that they make and the failures that they make. And how, are they resilient? No, nah, not really, because we're not letting them fall down and then picking themselves up. No, that's not what we're doing. That's why they're a mess. As soon as we come back from break, we're going to talk about kids and how we get past that. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And 
And welcome back. It's now 1047. Do you know where your children are, your loved ones, your kids, your pets? You need to know where everyone is at this time of the night, especially these days. If you don't know where they are and you think they might be in trouble, call 911 and uh, get the help that you need. If you need to call us at any point in time, 416-870-6400, text 647-488-0086, or you can get me anytime, 877 877- Seven 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 five eight zero eight. You can get me twenty four seven. Someone will answer the call and get us connected at the appropriate time. Kids, talking about kids. Oh my God! You know, I got I had a kid call me not so long ago. We were I've been working with the family for a while, and you know, the kid had some issues around some substance abuse and some gaming and whatever. We were working on some stuff, making a lot of progress. Kid calls me panicking. He says, "Yona, I feel like I want to kill myself." I said, dude, what's up? Like, what's going on? He says, I, I, my mother just freaked out and woke me up and said, I need to start my job at McDonald's today. I said, okay, so like, get out of bed and, and, and get ready to go to work. Like, if that's what you're supposed to do, that's what you're supposed to do. What are you going to kill yourself for? He says, Yona, you don't understand. I never applied for the job. So what do you mean you didn't apply for your job? He said, no, my mother filled out the application. And answered the questions for me when they called, you know, when they wrote in for uh, additional questions. She filled it all out and somehow got the job for me. Didn't know you could even do that these days, but I guess you can. And he says, and I don't want to work at McDonald's. Anyway, the story goes on, needless to say, and things worked out okay. He hasn't killed himself, and their lives, him and his family's lives, are much, much better today. But the reality is his mother made him or made the, made the appointment for him, got, filled out the application. Parents do it all the time for university, pick the schools, pick the subjects, pick their friends, pick their boyfriends, their girlfriends, the things they should do in school, gym versus track, track versus basketball, basketball versus ballet. doesn't work like that. Because if you don't teach your children how to fall off their bike and pick themselves up, they're never going to be able to. I remember years ago, years ago, my, my children are much older now and in their mid-20s and so, and one slightly older than that. But I remember my youngest, very mechanically inclined. As a matter of fact, he's a house builder now, as it turns out, loves his tools and trucks and stuff. But, you know, when he was a little kid, I went off to work one day, and we were living in, in a place that had a fenced-in play area and left him and his brother with their little bikes and, and training wheels, came back from my day at work, and he was driving his bike around the play area, and so was his brother without training wheels. Like, I never took them off. His mom doesn't know how to use tools, so she didn't take them off, right? No slight on her. That's just not her thing. He took his own wheels off and taught, him how to, taught himself how to ride a bike and taught his brother how to ride a bike. I think he was maybe seven or eight at the time. And it's a resilient kid today. All of my kids, thankfully, are pretty resilient. Because when they fall down, we try to make sure they pick themselves up. Sure, I try to do everything I can to make their lives easier, better, smoother, faster, easier, you know, cleaner, less expensive. But at the end of the day, resilience is about learning how to fall down and pick yourself up. You don't have to be in a position like Larry, where life has to punch you in the face or punch you in the gut or kick you between your legs to wake you up. You realize that in order for children to be successful, they have to learn how to bob and weave and stick and move. They have to learn how to be able to know who's good and who's bad, what a good relationship is like and what a bad relationship is like, what it's like when a friend burns you or your friend becomes the best ever for the rest of your life. you got to learn how to make good choices and bad choices, how to decide if taking the art program is really what they want to do because they think it's an easy subject until they realize it's about art history. And it's the toughest subject in the, in the school. They have to learn 
that the job that they wanted working at HMV is a great job, but eh, doesn't really pay so well. But if they worked in a factory or mowing lawns or delivering food or working in a grocery store, they'd make more money. Not as fancy, but they'd make more money. Teaching kids how to make decisions for themselves. When I get parents to call me and say, I've got a 21-year-old daughter or 21-year-old son. They have issues with this, this, and this, and they're doing this, this, and this. And, you know, I want to get them help, and we've tried to do this for them. We've tried to do that for them. We organized for them to go to this program, and they, we, we got them a psychologist, and we got them a therapist, and we got them a group. We got them. We got them. We got them. And I kept saying to her, that's the problem. You got him everything. How much of this stuff does he want to do by himself? How much of this stuff is this kid motivated to do because it's his idea? You know, they talked recently in the papers and the news about Britney Spears and, you know, her, her being uh, trying to get rid of her father as, as her uh, trustee and so on, wants to be in control of her own life and all that stuff. And she goes on to talk about how she was forced into therapy and that when she got out of therapy, she was still a mess. Like, no kidding. Let me tell you, after decades and decades of working with people, kids in particular, for the most part of it, like 3,800 of them or so in my career, I've learned one thing. Unless someone wants help, they're not going to get it. And even if they stick them, somebody sticks them in front of you and you go on and do your therapy and do the best you can, and I kind of think I'm pretty good at what I do. I do the best job I can for sure. But if they're not into it, they're not into it. Your kids have to be into the things that excite them and interest them. It's important that your 7-year-old and your 10-year-old get to decide what we're going to have for dinner this week. Maybe one gets to decide on Wednesday and one gets to decide on Thursday. And maybe they get to participate in actually making the food with you or deciding what we're ordering in if that's what we're going to do. Deciding what movies you're going to watch as a family or what you might do on the weekend. Or have your kids participate in where they're going to go for family vacation. Can't tell you how many teenagers I talk to that say, can you believe my parents are taking us to there to such and such and such a place? And I'm thinking to myself, cool, right? Like nice place to go. No, I don't want to go there. And this is why, this is what we're going to do. And they never even asked us. Kids get pissed off if you don't ask them. But what we're doing is we're, create, we're creating emotional cripples. We're creating people, children that have the, don't have the emotional strength and fortitude and confidence to pick themselves up when they fall down. And then when you get to be in your early 20s and mom and dad aren't paying for everything anymore and university is over and you have to get out into the real world and you can't make an honest decision because your mom or dad need to be there for you to make those decisions, you didn't do a very good job as a parent. I I like that my kids come to us for advice, but they're going to decide to do what they want to do. And frankly, my kids don't make decisions all the time that I agree with, but guess what? No one asked me. And it's none of my business. It's not my life. I don't have to live in their skin. And that's what it's about, learning how to live in your own skin, learning how to be that person that no matter what happens, your boyfriend breaks up with you, your girlfriend breaks up with you, your dogs get sick and, 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 might, you know, and might die, or, or, or you, know, you fail a subject in school. A lot of kids want to kill themselves in situations like that, literally. I get calls like that two or three times a week, especially these days. The anxiety is overwhelming. The depression is debilitating. The lack of confidence is unbelievable because we're not teaching our kids the ability to get up when they fall down. And that's what resilience is about, my dear friends. That's what we're talking about tonight. Guys like Larry Gifford and all of those others that are fighting 
to survive and come out the other side of whatever it is that makes their life difficult and challenging. So I'm asking you this week, if you have children, give them a little more room to make decisions. If it's, if it's your brother, your husband, your wife, or someone that you feel maybe you don't give them enough opportunity to make their own decisions for themselves, step back a little bit. They'll be okay. And if they fall down and scrape their knees, it's all right. You give them a hug and you say, you'll do better next time. Don't let it stop you. Put a Band-Aid on it and put them back on the bike. Hope you guys have an amazing week. Love the one you're with. Make sure you hug your loved ones. Let them know how special they are to you. Make sure everyone in your life knows how important they are to you and to the world. And next week, we're going to do some more of this stuff. And hopefully, you'll join us again because I love having you. You're the best audience ever. It's so much fun. certainly makes my day and my week a lot better. Hope it does for you, too. Love to hear from you next week. Yonabud, 640, Toronto.